It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual, and we're joined today by Red correspondent Sarah Clapson. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning, Matt. I'm all right, thank you. Good, good. And returning for a second appearance on the podcast is BBC Radio Nottingham football presenter David Jackson. Good morning, David. Are you well? Uh, yeah, I'm well. I'm in a festive spirit, as you can see. <laughs> yes. For those of you who are listening on uh, iTunes or anywhere else, David's got a magnificently uh, decorated <laughs> Christmas tree behind him. I mean, this is a football podcast, but I'll get, let you give a shout out to whoever decorated that. Was that your daughter's or your wife? That's Was it my yourself? daughter's. But you'll be pleased to see the amount of red on there, which is very good for, uh, for you know, for this podcast. So, you know, I mean, admittedly, yes, some of the decorations are homemade, uh, rustic. They're the best ones. Of course they're the best ones. Yeah. Um, so, yes, there's, um, it's, well, I like it. We like it. And I've even, I've even put the lights on occasional flashing just so that it'll, <laughs> you know, spark things up. When you've gone four games without seeing a goal, anything, anything. to cheer you up. <laughs> Yes, well, let's talk about that. I mean, uh, another game without a goal, but uh, a, a good positive point against Watford. Uh, I mean, what did you make of it, David? A step in the right direction? Yeah, it felt like that. Um, uh, Brian Laws, after the game, when I was talking to him, just said, well, it's baby steps, isn't it? You know, And I think that that's probably fair enough. But it did feel a lot better. I think if if that game had been, you know, first day of the season, I was talking to Colin Frey about this this morning, actually. If that had been first day of the season and you go nil-nil draw against a team just relegated... Um, you'd say, uh, well, that's that's a decent enough start. I think when it comes off the back of uh, three defeats, three games without a goal, you are still left wondering where is a goal going to come from? And those questions, of course, are uh, completely legitimate. I, I just felt that despite the... Um, despite that run of results they they looked a bit more lively I think perhaps that was down to Joe Worrell I'm sure we'll talk about that later but maybe his inclusion helped in that I thought they looked quite lively at times without ever being much of a threat in in the final third but it's a, it's also a clean sheet and only what the third this season Blackburn and Wickham I think must have been the others so I think it's only a third this season so a lot of positives to take um, but it's, sometimes it's a bit hard to take those when that result comes off the back of, um, of of three defeats, and it's it's yeah, just a, another game without a goal being scored. Yeah, I mean, what was the biggest positive for you, Sarah? Aside from not conceding a goal and getting a point, what did you take from it? I think that probably was the positive. <laughs> they did play pretty well, I thought. Forest, they looked the more likely to to get a goal. Um, although, probably as David said, you kind of thought, I can't really see where one, one's coming from. They did create some good chances. They got into decent positions. Um, they just didn't really look like scoring. But the biggest positive was that clean sheet. They did, you know, Watford didn't really cause them too many problems. I can't remember Bree Samba having any saves to make, really. Um, he had a few kind of nervy moments, but they were mainly of his own doing. Um, Joe Worrell, I thought, made a huge difference. And he helped Tobias Figueiredo, I think, as well alongside him. He looked a lot better um, than he has done in recent weeks. 
I think as a back four, they worked really well with Ryan Yates in front of them. Um, they did a, a good job of limiting Watford to very little and you have to take a lot from that. That is really encouraging. And even though they didn't get the goal, I think the fact that you know there were a few positives attacking-wise, it's something to build on. Um, they still have that, that, you know, scoring a goal is the major problem at the minute, but you kind of feel like they're edging towards it a little bit more and they, they're getting there. I think there's still a long way to go, but there was definitely more positives than negatives last night. Did Houston say how long McKenna's out for, Sarah? He's hoping to have him back for the weekend. Um, he said it was only a minor problem, so um, hopefully he'll be back fit for Reading. But I, I don't know, do you change it after that, after you've kept a clean sheet, when you've had Warren and Figueredo do pretty well? Um it's a difficult one. I'd I'd really like to see Worrell and McKenna. I think they'll be the first choice partnership going forward because McKenna's been brilliant. Um, obviously, Worrell's come in and it, it was his leadership more than anything, I think, that made a difference last night. He was the loudest voice on the pitch. He was organising. He was encouraging. He was telling people where to go. The number of times I heard him shout, Cafu, I think I, if I had a pound for every time I, he did that, I'd probably, yeah, I'd be very rich by now, but um, well, a little bit more rich. Um yeah, he made a big difference. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't keep his place. But having said that, I mean, you don't know his fitness levels. That was his, he was thrown straight back into the into the starting level after being out since September. So whether he's fit enough to start two games in a row, I don't know. But it's an it, interesting one. It is interesting that um, I because I, I think it does suddenly give Chris Hughton options, doesn't it? Which is yeah. very interesting because I, I think. Um, before last night, you'd have been thinking it'd be great to get Worrell in with McKenna, who's been really good. And Figueredo, particularly earlier in the season, was uh, was sloppy uh, under Sabra mm. Lamushi, and he's kind of got a, a bit better. But the last few weeks, think, well, if you could replace Figueredo, get Worrell in there, would look a lot more solid. And then it ended up being unfortunate that that McKenna's picked up a thankfully only a slight knock, but you know misses out. But I agree with you. I think Worrell's communication, great. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it helps organise everything. I think we've been calling out, haven't we, for a bit of that communication out on the pitch, somebody to drive them, somebody to kind of make things happen. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a creative player. It has to be somebody who can go out there, make some noise, get things organised. As you said, like shouting Cafu here, there, telling players where to go, keeping that communication up and that noise up out on the pitch. And if he's doing that, Michael Dawson, who was in the 20 as well, is doing that from the touchline and yep. being there in and around the place as well um, on a match day, then then that's that's great news. And I, I, think you, I think you're right. I think Warren McKenna is the partnership ultimately that you'll end up with. But Figueroa's obviously gone, hang on a minute, I've got to ha- I'm going to have to do well here to try and keep my place. Whether it'll be enough, uh, I don't know. But if, if, that, if that performance now means that Chris Hewton can take a little bit more time with Worrell and not rush him back and make him play games where he might not want him to. And, you know, there is a lot of games coming up, midweeks and so on. If he can, if he can rotate it for a bit until Worrell's back 100% fit, then that's really good news. Mm. I mean, I would play, if Worrell's fit, I'd play him and McKenna. But then mm. there's always that risk, isn't there? I mean, this is why he's the manager, he gets paid for it. But if you go and play Worrell and he breaks down or he's not 100%, he doesn't perform and then you lose to Reading, you're sort of back to square one because now they do need to build on this. And of the fixtures coming up, Reading is probably the most inviting, even though they're up there. They did have quite a big wobble themselves. So it's another another big game. I wanted to uh, talk about the midfield balance. Um, 
I, I had a tweet last night from someone saying that it's four wins in 35 games with the eights in the team. If they keep playing the eights, they're in a relegation battle, basically pinning the entire affair on him, which I thought was very, very harsh. Um, I mean, did you think that that midfield looked looked better uh, with the shape it had and with just one sitting with Yates, who I thought did a really good job. Did they, did they look a bit more effective as a unit there, David, did you think? Well, it's interesting because I thought before the game, I was expecting Cafu to play deeper as well. I, you know, I remember we've been told that he's going to be a, a sort of deeper midfielder than in number 10, although I know Chris Hewton said that he quite fancies the idea of pushing him a bit further forward than he's played before. Um, so to, to see it the way it was last night, I think was... Um, slightly unexpected. Did it look better? Yeah, maybe. I, I think I didn't really know what to expect from Cafu in that in that position further forward as well. Um, and I, I don't know whether. It, I mean, ultimately, not they didn't score, so obviously it hasn't made you know a complete revolutionary difference uh, with with him in the side. But um, yeah, I mean. I, they were making things happen, weren't they? I like Harter in the team. I think when he gets the ball, he goes he goes forwards uh, and looks forwards and looks like he's going to try and make things happen. I I agree with you. I like Ryan Yates. I think if somebody's um, played as as much as they have and, and managers keep picking him, then there's there's probably a reason. I like his passion out there as well. And you know, it's been a bit unlucky. I think earlier on in the season that he was getting into the penalty area and getting on the end of crosses and and maybe missing some chances. But he was the one that was getting in there. He was mm. the one that was gambling, taking a chance, getting forward, getting into the opposition box, and trying to make things happen. Which is not necessarily what he's being asked to do is his priority but he's getting in there and making it happen anyway so I, I, I feel a bit sorry for him as well with the, some of the stick that he's got because I think if you speak to his teammates or the manager they'll they'll talk very very highly of him and so yeah I, I, I quite liked that I think it did make things happen a little bit I just it, 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 the problem will always come back to that that final third and I think there is enough creativity in that team you know players like Lolly and Amiobi on the day can be outstanding. Knockart has got absolutely bags of ability. There should be loads of great balls going into the box. There should be chance after chance after chance. And every opposition manager keeps saying, wow, you look at their team on paper and they look one of the best three or four teams in this division. Um, and a lot of that's down to that ability at that end of the pitch. And yet when they play, you think, well, well, where is it then? Where's, where's the end product? And game after game after game with this happening, you kind of think, well, it is it is Groundhog Day in that final third. We're just we're getting we're getting nowhere ultimately. What do you make of Knockart? Because um, it was it Swan, yeah Swansea at the weekend. He looks very frustrated, like a player who knows he's better than he's playing, and he's searching for that form. Do you think he's edging towards it at all, Sarah? Yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. That he he, he does seem like he's frustrated out there on the pitch. He knows what he wants to do. It, Perhaps it just doesn't always come off at the minute. I think he's shown flashes of his ability. And and like David said, he's got bags and bags of talent. You can see some of the, the things he does. He's, he's real quality. Um, I think maybe he's just been a little bit inconsistent so far. We've not kind of seen it a great deal. He's shown it now and again. He's played some nice passes. He's been involved in some nice moves. But he's not really taken a game yet by the scruff of the neck and tried to drive something or create some create something um i think it's coming i think it, it it's just not it's not all on him it's just not clicked as a unit i think for forest yet going forward um and i think you've got players as well as knockout players like joe lolly who haven't been at top form yet um and amiobi as well i think you can include in that harry arter last night he had a few chances 
you didn't quite get it right. Um, players that just aren't performing like we know they can. And when you kind of put all of that into the mix, to then try and make that a cohesive attacking unit is difficult. And then you've got someone like Lyle Taylor up there a lot of the time without much support. It, it's difficult for him. Um, he didn't. He got maybe one or two chances, I think, last night, but not a lot. And he works so hard, but just not a lot for him to live off. It's difficult, isn't it, when you've got those creative players. You want those creative players to just kind of have freedom and be able to relax, to express themselves. But when they're in a team that's struggling, the mm. pressure sort of becomes on their shoulders and you want to take that weight off their shoulders for them to be able to just relax, enjoy themselves, express themselves and so on. But it's it's hard for it's it's really hard for them to do because, I mean, there was the knockout chance, wasn't there, when he cut in from the right and fired the shot towards the bottom corner um, against uh, Swansea, wasn't it? The keeper kind of just yeah. stuck his foot out and, and made the save and you thought, oh, if, if, if that had gone in, I wonder, because I just after that he just looked like, oh, you know, what, what do I have to do? Um, and I, I just wonder whether there is that bit of expectation on him, bit of pressure on him um, and probably putting it on himself as well because he knows he's torn this division apart in the past and now he's in a team that just aren't sort of getting anywhere in that final third. He, he, he so wants to make it happen himself um, and it just isn't, isn't quite happening yet in, in that sense. They're not, just not scoring goals. I think confidence is a massive factor as well and it becomes a bit of a a monkey on their back a little bit. You're thinking about it too much because you've gone so many games without getting that goal and because everybody's talking about you not creating a lot of chances, you're trying too hard sometimes. You're thinking about it too much rather than doing things naturally and it just happening. There's there's too much kind of going on up here and just not doing it as you normally would and the longer it goes on, the difficult it becomes to break that cycle. Mm. It was a very random bit in the game, which sort of summed it up. With, um, you might have been writing, sir, because it was like you know, when Amiobi came on and produced perhaps the single worst piece of individual play I've ever seen. Yeah, when, no, he went for, when he went for a cross and put it out for, was it a goal <laughs> kick? He just, it was a cross yeah. that went straight. It was really weird. Yeah. I think that sums it up players not in I the right place. It, it was it was so weird that that he even stopped and stared at it for a few. I don't think he could quite believe what had just happened. He did everything about his his, his body going into it and everything. It just like what's happened there? It was <laughs> it was really odd, wasn't it? it? Was. Really I thought odd. the offside flag must have gone up. I thought it's got to be offside, yeah. and he's wasting a bit of time. But it was a funny aside, and it made me laugh anyway because it was it was that bad. Um, but you know when, when things thing- are going badly, when things are going badly, those things seem highlighted, don't they? I think yeah. probably mm-hmm. things like that do happen even for teams at the top end of the table. But you know when you, you're losing, when you're unable to score, every every moment in that final third becomes heightened. Um, and like you said, Sarah, you know that that's where the, the the pressure sort of mounts because you sort of think, oh no, that's gone wrong. But that mm. something like that could happen any time, and you can have delivered ten perfect balls into the box before that, and then you can just scuff one and it go wrong. But when it's just not happening, if something like that then happens, it just drags the mood down, doesn't it? You just think, oh, this nothing's. It just feels like nothing's going right, and it there was, you know, you, you end up with a, a few moments of like misplaced passes that just suddenly go out of play, and you think it just sort of drags everyone down because it seems to epitomise what's going on and the sort of general feeling of frustration around the place. Mm, mm, True. I mean, you talk about perfect crosses. I think that was the one thing that was lacking, really, because more than recent games, they got in behind. um, I think Ribeiro, Christie, Lolly, Knockart, maybe, all got in behind in good positions. And the final ball was 
uh, was sorely lacking, I suppose. Is that a confidence thing, do you think? I mean, or is it just a case that sometimes when you're playing well, you get an extra man in the box and it falls for them? At, at least there's positives that, that they were getting in behind them, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, like you say, that, that's why I think we're, we're encouraged because it was, a, it was a step further forward than they have been perhaps at, at other times um, uh, in, in the last few weeks. But yeah, ultimately, you know, the, the balls into the box haven't really been good enough, sort of just flashed in across and you think, well, OK, you know, it doesn't, there's never been a ball in the box where you'd say there's a, a real sort of guilt-edged chance uh, for, for the strikers. And, and so that it, to, to, to quote Brian Laws again, it's, you know, it's those baby steps, isn't it? You've, you've gone, you've, you're able to get in behind them. So it feels like, OK, well, we've, we're taking a step further forward there. We're getting in behind now the next step, <laughs> you know, let's let's get the next step. Let's start getting some dangerous balls into the box and let's start making things happen. Because I think Lyle Taylor works so hard, you know, and he's getting back in defence, making slide tackles, you know, like like he did um, he did last night. He got back into his penalty area, making an important tackle to prevent a, a cross into the box. He's working so hard and you can see what it means to him. He's trying to get make things happen. He's d- desperate to get goals. Um and, and also just desperate to see the team win. As I say, the fact that he's back there helping out the defence last night showed showed everything uh, for me about him. But um, but there's there's got to be the chances for him. You know, you can't say that he's missed chances. Lewis Graben got a fair few early on in the season and, and missed them, of course. But I don't really feel like Taylor's had the, the services yet. Mm. Um, I was just going to expand on Cafu. We really barely touched on him there. I mean, he's come out of you know nowhere in a sense, apart from playing that. 15-minute cameo at Middlesbrough. Uh, what did you make of uh, make of him, Sarah? Is he another kind of Guerrero who's had one good game and not done much since? Or do we think there could be a player there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hated just someone on one one mm. game, really. But I thought he did really well last night. I was really impressed with him. Um, he was positive. He was lively. He wanted to get on the ball. He wanted to make things happen. Um, he was always looking to get involved. And he, he added a bit more dynamism I think which is something that had been lacking um I think like David said we were told that he was more going to be more of a defensive midfielder then when you see him kind of pushing forward a bit it was kind of like oh right okay um Joe Wall pretty much summed it off afterwards when he said I think he's more of a an 8.5 than a, a an 8 or, or a 10 or or whatever other position um but he did pretty well I think and it's good to have options like that he brings something different and that's what you need you if you're, you're Chris Hewton and if he's not starting even, if you're looking at him on the bench and thinking, well, he can come on and, and try and make something happen if you need it to. And um, yeah, it, it's good to have different options like that. I do think that number 10 is a bit of a, uh, an issue yeah. for Forrest though, don't you? I mean, I, I'm not sure. I think we'd all kind of pinned hopes on on uh, Freeman, Luke Freeman coming in in the summer. I know he's got a bit of an injury at the moment, but we've not seen much from him when he's played. Um, and I think the, it, you could, if you're going to, if you've got a really good number 10 in that role, you can base things around him. You can bring, bring your wingers in and get balls into your striker. But without, without that happening properly, um, that, that's one of the reasons I think that probably we're not, Forrest not scoring goals. And I, I, they, they really need to sort that out because yeah, I agree. I think he did a lot of good things. Would you, if you're actually looking at challenging at the top end of the table, is he the man you want in a number 10, Cafu? I'd probably say no. So you need something a bit better, a bit more creative, something, you know, something like Luke Freeman and his pomp, you know, could could do that. And at the moment, I'm, I'm struggling to see quite where that's, who's going to do that role. Could Joe Lolly do it? Maybe, you know, you could do that. You know, could you even, 
try and knock Hart in there. I don't know. I'm probably preferring him out wide. But, you know, you, there's something's got to happen for me in, in that role. It's, if you're going to play with a number 10, it's such an important position uh, and so pivotal in, in the team and in terms of everything you do when you're going forward, you've, you've got to get a good one. Um, as, as you know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the days of Nigel Clough, who wore nine, but basically was a number 10. And he made things happen. He, you know, he would drop deep, get the balls through for other players to run onto. And it's, it's such a, it can be such an important position. It can, it can win you matches time after time. And I don't feel at the moment we've got the number 10 position right at all. Mm. They definitely even had one last night, really, did they? I mean, I, I saw it as four one four one with a very isolated mm. Taylor and, and, mm. and Cafu meant to be the man who got nearest to him. And I guess you could play that way, but I don't think that's a sustainable long-term formula if you're looking to, to win games. That's a way not to get beat in, um, in uh, you know, these games against the good sides. Uh, I wanted to ask about the ref because we haven't touched on him yet. I mean, I don't like to rag on refs and dunk on them, but uh, he, he was bad, especially with the Talibar thing. I mean, is there any mitigation, Sarah, at all? Could you see what the ref was thinking? No. <laughs> no. They should have, it, I think there was three challenges where he should have been booked. He got booked for one, and then there's the, the Arta one straight afterwards, and that was a horrible challenge. And nothing happened. He, he did, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, other than that... Um, yeah, I thought he should have gone for that. I don't. I thought the ref was bad. I don't think he was bad that it had an effect on the game. He made some really odd decisions against Forest, particularly. I think there was quite a few times where he thought, mm, "Don't really get what you're doing there." But I don't think it had an overall impact on the final scoreline. Mm, mm, you agree? There is no excuse, though. I, I, I mean, he, no. he, it could well have gone for the first challenge. To be honest, you know, he's, he's, he slid in outrageously late. Studs are showing looked dangerous to me. Um, so you go, well, that many refs would have given that as a red in the first place. He decided to give a yellow. If you're giving a yellow for that and he's still sliding around the place causing injury, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer to send the guy off. I, I, I think even he was looking around. It, it got that... You know, sometimes you're watching a game and you think, he's going to get sent off soon, whether he's been booked yet or not. And he, he had that kind of look about him. He was flying in everywhere. And then when he gets booked for the first one, you think, well, he's not going to last. And then there's, like you said, there's another one. And you, like you say, by that point, I think there's only five or six minutes left anyway, I think, by the time the second one mm. was around. But it, it was, I think, if it had been somebody else, he would, have, he would have booked him. And I just think it was that, that thing of, oh, it's going to be a red card. So he, he didn't do it. And if that's the case, then that's, that's madness. Mm. Chris Hewton's normally the most placid man, isn't he? But to hear him say yeah. afterwards, no, he should have gone. I can't understand why that was a red card. I think that, he, that he, probably he, tells you a lot. He tried to be diplomatic again, didn't he? He, he did, is always yeah. diplomatic, but he said, you know, you don't like to see players sent off, but he should have been. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah, actually, I can't, I can't defend that. How, how can you? He just, it, just no question. He just, he just should have gone. Mm. I wonder what it would have been like with fans in. You know, like, because of the, the noise that would have been there after the first challenge. Mm. I wonder if that might have led to a sending off in the first one or whether it would have even led to a sending off after the second challenge. I do wonder about that. And I've heard managers saying that the reintroduction of fans might start influencing referees more in one way, especially it's going to be a completely one-sided crowd um, as we're starting to see around the country now. And I I just wonder, I'm not saying it would or wouldn't, and referees will always say it wouldn't make a difference. But I do wonder if you've got best part of 30,000 fans going mad after a, a dangerous challenge on the touchline. You, is a referee more inclined to give a red card than a yellow in there? I, mm. I mean, it's, it's I think, difficult, it's a maybes, but... Yeah, I mean, I thought 
the one where he slid on and Cafe was very similar to the one that Yanu got sent off for at Luton in the yeah. area of the pitch and the way he went about the tackle. And it's just the lack of consistency. Um, but I don't think refs have been as bad this season. I think that was an instance where he was just terrible. Um <laughs> You mentioned crowds, David. Obviously, Forest go to Reading on Saturday, and Reading's not exactly the most daunting place to go, having been there a few times. But they will have a crowd. I mean, does that make a difference having a few thousand quiet Reading fans sat there? Or not? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it probably makes more of a difference in the lower leagues. I think you know, Mansfield last night went to Cambridge, where they had two thousand fans. Um, and I watched uh, the highlights this morning to see to see what it was like. And okay, they're a bit they're a bit distanced apart. You could tell they're a bit distanced apart. There's two thousand fans watching Cambridge. That's not particularly unusual. So the level of noise around the place, even though they were wearing masks, um, it just four sides. All four sides had got supporters in, um, and they were all supporting the home team. So that has to be seen as an advantage for Cambridge. Um, not financially, because they had to have so many stewards that actually they they made a loss uh, on the night. It actually cost them money. But in terms of having supporters around as an advantage on the pitch, surely that should make a difference. I mean, Mansfield went there and won. But, you know, in a long term, as a generally speaking, that, that should make a difference, I think. When you're looking at championship grounds, when you're looking at going to a stadium that holds between twenty and 30,000 and you put 2,000 in there, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that same feel, does it? You know, it, they're going to be. I don't even know if they're going to open. How they'll do it? Uh, whether they'll open all the stands? I don't know if we know that yet. If they're going to open all the stands, how far apart they're going to be? Um, it's just. It, it, it's not going to have that that same feeling. And also, it can be detrimental. Reading of yes, they've recovered a little bit, but they had that little run of four straight defeats. If Forest went there, this is a massive if, I know at the moment, but bear with the story. If Forest go there and score early, I know, I know, I know, just bear with it. If Forest went there and scored early, imagine two, the only fans in the stadium now are frustrated fans, um, annoyed with their, with their team because they've just conceded a goal to a team who haven't been able to score in their previous four. And, and they start to sense things going wrong. So that's not going to be great, is it? A largely quiet ground where you've got 2,000 frustrated, annoyed home fans, you know, smattered around the stadium. So then it's, then it's very much not an advantage. And, I, and I, I'm not sure in the, in the bigger grounds whether having 2,000 socially distanced supporters really creates enough of an atmosphere for it to, to make much of a difference. In fact, really, it, it probably means that the manager's more likely to hear the stick that's being hurled at them from behind um, and probably more likely to make the players hear the, the stick that's held at them from behind. I, I don't, you can't get songs going, you know, you, you can't get any of that that actually generates the, the actual normal match day atmosphere. So is it an advantage for Reading and then Norwich next week? I'm not sure really. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that annoys me about Reading is their team. This is a very journalistic aside. Their team sheets they put the Reading subs down as an extra Reading fans as an extra sub, and I think yeah. that's really better. There's there's quite a lot that annoys me about Reading. If you've got if you've got, got, time. Time. got time, I mean, there's uh, there was one thing that really annoyed me about Reading years ago, which was uh, uh, Dave Kitson was playing for them, and I remember they not that long after been promoted, and he said that for for big. Big clubs like them, big clubs like them in the Premier League, the FA Cup wasn't quite so much of a priority. And I thought, I'm not having that. Like, no. if, you're, if you're a top Premier League team and you've got 
Champions League matches to worry about and you're playing 60 games a season, I can ju- I mean, I'm also I'm passionate about the FA Cup, but I, you know, I can sort of understand where your priorities start to change because you're trying to win the Premier League and keep your players fit and you're trying to stay in the Champions League and so on. So I understand how it falls down the pecking order a little bit. But if you're Reading, then I'm sorry. The FA Cup is a big priority. And, and also, don't get me started on being sponsored by Waitrose, as they were. So that's, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> if you're sponsored by Asda, then that's, that's a football club. You know, Waitrose should be saved for the local polo team. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Sarah, well then, let's, looking at the game itself and not slagging off the opposition. Are you going to edit that bit out? Are you going to edit that bit out to not play no. all the Waitrose shoppers? <laughs> Uh, no, you might no, get sponsored by them. We are we're after a sponsor. If anyone's watching, hello Waitrose uh, or <laughs> or Little. Other supermarkets are available. So, Sarah, back to football. Uh, would you make any changes to the team, depending on this? Um, no, I, I don't think I would really. Um, I think apart I think from McKenna, you've got to, maybe. yeah. Apart from McKenna, that would probably be the only one. Um, I think you need a bit of consistency in, in your, your team selection. I still think Chris Hutton hasn't quite settled on his best team and his best formation yet. I get that it's good to have options and it's good to to mix things up a little bit and have, and everybody always talks about this plan B and plan C and, and plan D and everything, but I think sometimes you need that consistency. You need to kind of build those relationships on the pitch and they played pretty well. I don't think there is any need to change it. Um and who who would you change it for? Um, other than maybe bring Amiobi in, um, because I, didn't, I thought Joe Lolly perhaps didn't have the, the best of games. Um, other than that, I don't think there's 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 too much really that you you think yeah I'd, I'd change that. Mm, mm. What about you, David? I actually thought Lolly was decent second half, um, and Nocart was good first half, and they kind of swapped performance levels. But yeah. did you make any changes? Um, yeah, Lolly didn't do a lot first half, did he? He didn't. He didn't quite look right. He seemed to pick it up, like mm-hmm. you say, second half. But yeah, first half, I don't. I don't know. Um, would he change things? I mean, you know, he's sort of been rotating the the wide players a bit, hasn't he? Um, I think you can only go on, and it's kind of what the manager's got um, available and how they're kind of how they how he feels like they're doing in training. Um, but I would I change that? I, I don't know. Do they need a bit of a a run or do they need kind of mixing up I don't know it just seems whatever they try at the moment it doesn't make any difference does it so I'm I'm not sure does it do they just need a bit of a, a break you know a bit of a break in front of goal and something to happen for it to for something to spark um I I, I think we saw at the end of last season that players like Lolly and Amiobi were being too relied on and they started getting quite tired I think you've got a lot mm-hmm. of games coming up so I sort of quite like the idea of um, rotating them and, and certainly at the moment kind of you know mixing them around but I, I, I just think at the moment it almost doesn't matter that they're, they're all capable mm. and they're all inconsistent so you just play who you want to play and at, at some point something hopefully will will click and that word hope it's interesting I heard Chris Hutton using that word again last night you know we said we hope we hope it'll turn around and I think he I think he kind of means he believes it will turn around. He just hopes it'll be soon. I think he's confident he'll be able to turn it round. It's just kind of how soon it'll turn round, mm. um, and maybe it just needs one of those to to for something to happen. I, ju- I, I just like I just like to see Joe Lolly 
pick it up and run at the defence from 40 yards out, take them on and have a smash at goal. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. And I do wonder, to go back to the fans again, I, I think that's, that's a factor. People mm. like this, people like Joe Lolly are entertainers. You know, that they make their living by being out on the pitch and getting a rise from the fans by literally, you know, by getting the ball setting off and the players get up out of their seats. They're entertainers. And without anyone to entertain, I do think it's more difficult. And I know that people will be screaming at me now saying it's the same for everybody. And, you know, you just the money should be motivation enough and blah, blah, blah. I get that. But just at that moment that you've got the ball on a pitch and there are fans there to give you that extra lift and go, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to drop the shoulder. I'm going to go. I, I think it does make a difference. I think it just, regardless of whether it should or shouldn't, I think it just does make a difference to those sorts of players. But I'd, I'd just like to see at some point Joe Lolly try that and again and, and, and for it to, to happen. And then, and then who knows? Maybe it'll, maybe it'll kick off in the right direction then. Maybe. I'd like to see Alex Martin get a bit more time as yeah. well. I'm thinking. Yeah, good point, yeah. Mm, yeah, he was um, he was on the bench last night, wasn't he? And mm. you know, as a as a young lad who's got a good bit of pace, and you know, was given a long contract in the summer. Um, it, it'd be nice to see. And it's interesting when I was talking to Chris Hutton about the youth policy a few weeks back, and asking about whether ideally he'd like to have a few more young players around because he brought Will Swan mm. uh, in to, to travel. And I said, "Do you ideally want to start getting to a position where you've got more young players around?" And he said, "Well." they've got to be good enough and you know you've got you've got to think about the size of your squad and I think what he meant by that is he's, he's got a lot of senior players to try and keep happy as well and with them all coming back to fitness he's got a lot to manage and if you're wanting to bring in young players to develop and give time to as soon as you give Alex Martin 20 minutes and this shouldn't put you off necessarily but you give Alex Martin 20 minutes then there's another senior player on the bench who's annoyed that he didn't get on mm. um, and they're just I mean that that's tough, isn't it? But it, mm. it's situations that he has also got to try and manage in a position where he's trying to keep everybody happy, not a squad that he's built, of course, before he can start to make the changes that, that he might want to to personnel to, to actually spark things further in January, if he can. Yeah, I'd like to see Mighton come on. I thought that game was crying out for Mighton late in the game. I think one mm. concern... I, I've, yeah, I suppose concern is the right word. I think Cuton is very conservative with substitutions, especially when you've got five. I thought there was he was riding his luck a little bit late in the game there with a few tired-looking legs, I thought, personally. But there you go. If anyone disagrees, do shout up. But um, that was how I saw it. I wanted to finish um, looking big picture because we, uh, on Monday we did a podcast with a couple of fans and I asked them where they'd like the club to be realistically uh, in 12 months' time in 2021. And I guess it's more pertinent off the back of the piece that Danny Taylor did this week, which put a spotlight on the club and the way it's run. I mean, David, what would you like to see uh, the state of Nottingham Forest to be in 12 months' time realistically? I don't mean top of the Premier League, that's not going to happen. But you, know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I'm angling for about what kind of club uh, yeah. the fans were provided with? Um, I think in 12 months, I think it'd be nice to see the same manager in charge for mm. a start, um, because I think if if Chris Hutton, even if he has a difficult season this year, um, I'd like to see him given uh, a couple of transfer windows at least to start getting a squad that, that he wants. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Um, I'd like to see Forrest have scored a few goals by then. That'd be nice. Um, and, you know, that the next season there is improvement uh, on the pitch year on year. 
Um, of course, I'd also like to see the development of some more of the younger players in and around uh, the squad because um, that's just always exciting. And that's something Forrest have done so well for so many years. Off the pitch, I think it'd be nice to start hearing from um, the people in charge of the club because, you know, since they took over, uh, Evangelos Maranakis, the owner, has done an interview, which he did with Richard Conway of the BBC and didn't do any other interviews when uh, when he took over. He's done one with us. Charlie Slater did it for East Millers today when he went over to Greece for uh, um, a pre-season friendly for us to play against Olympiakos. So he did one interview there. But in terms of the board and the people uh, in charge at Forest, um, yes, we've spoken to Johnny Owen a couple of times, but he's on the board, but not running the club, if you like. That's down to Nicholas Randall and, and uh, Yanis Renchos. And we haven't heard from them. And we have asked several times over over the last few years because there's a lot of questions that we'd like to know the answers to. Um, so it'd be nice to have that um, level of communication with supporters because personally, I don't think that just releasing an, a, an occasional statement is uh, is enough. I think that they should be held accountable All football club owners, I think, should be held accountable. Yes, they're not elected representatives like MPs or or councillors, but for me, they they are in charge of uh, a football club which is, uh, in essence, community-owned because it's owned by the the football fans in in a a sort of more spiritual sense. And I think, therefore, they should be putting themselves out there to say, I'll be be accountable and I'll do these interviews. Now, Nigel Doughty used to just do one a year. And then leave it to the chief executive, Mark Arthur, to do other interviews. Fawaz Al-Asawi um, uh, did interviews, of course, as well. And I think that if there was that openness, that accountability, where you could then get clarification on questions, you know, you could ask the questions, what is the transfer policy? What is the deal with players moving between Olympiakos and Forest? And, and who's the priority uh, in, in that sort of situation? Um, what is happening with the development of the ground? All these questions, which you would love to be able to sit down with the chief executive or the chairman and and ask, just ask these questions and and get answers to them. So it would be great if the club could become more accountable and uh, more uh, open to speaking to to the press, like yourselves and to us and the local media. Who we aren't out to get them. We'd just like to be able to put points to them and ask them questions and find out what's going on. Uh, on behalf of the fans and because I, I, I think it would be the right thing for them to do. So off the pitch, I'd like to see that that happening. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully if if that happens, there will be uh, supporters who've got a bit more of a, a sense of affiliation with the owners, feel like they know a bit more what's going on rather than it being a bit of a, a, bit of a mystery. And then when articles like Danny Taylor's comes out, then it, it starts to create um, worries uh, and understandably. Uh, so I think the club could do with doing that and I think they could do with answering a lot of questions uh, around that and yeah like I said on on the pitch let's you know just better you know if if there's an improvement and you can start to see some steady progress then then that'd be great but then you know we've been asking for that for, for 20 years so Sarah I guess you'd agree with that wouldn't you yeah I, I think pretty much word for word I'd agree with what David said um Particularly about keeping the manager. I think that's that's something you'd really like to see. Um, Forrest have gone through so many managers over the last few years. They've tried so many different things. Um, Chris Hewton is a really good manager. He's got great experience. He knows what he's doing. He knows the division. If you give him time, I'm 
yeah, convinced that that he'll get Forest where they want to be, or at least challenging. Um, you need stability. I think it's shown successful clubs have that that stability. They're, they have that kind of solid foundation. Um, and sooner or later, you've got to give somebody a chance. And I think that Chris Hutton is 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 probably the the best man at the minute to to try and and do that. Um, and also agree with David about it'd be great to to speak to any of the club hierarchy. Um, like like that, like David has, um, we've asked and, and not been able to get anywhere. Um, and that's Forest Choice and they're entitled to that. And I can see, I can kind of understand a little bit why they might be reluctant to, to do things like that because sometimes it's seen as, as maybe, well, you know, we're trying to do it a certain way. And, you know, you look at when Fawaz was in charge and he was on Twitter every five minutes and, and, giving interviews that perhaps didn't always convey the club in the best light and sometimes it is better to be a bit quieter and and kind of just get on with it but then when you have articles like Danny Taylor's article and and you know fans start talking and worrying a little bit then I think that is the time when perhaps you do need to hear from from people just to to put their point of view across. I would agree. And the only thing I'd add is I would like the signings figure to be under 80 by uh, this time in a month. Let's hope there's still only signed 70-odd players in the last four years because I think that that would be nice to see uh, a bit more of a considered policy there. Right, uh, we shall leave it there and we'll be back on Monday. But uh, thanks very much to Sarah and David for joining me. I appreciate you both uh, giving me your time on uh, a very chilly, what day is it? Thursday morning. So I'm very grateful for that. And uh, we shall see everyone soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.